that for businesses, who comes first? And it's the same answer for YouTube, which makes this really important. It's, it's the viewer, it's the audience. It's the person who's on the platform looking for something that's gonna change the way they feel or they think or they act. And YouTube videos are really powerful at doing that. And I think that should be your first goal as a content creator. You can make a, a viewer feel something or enlighten them or inspire them or motivate them without necessarily needing to sell a product at the first point of contact. But just as a viewer on YouTube, it has to have intrinsic value. I think all businesses should start there. And that's what vidIQ enables me to do every day. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. My name is Matt Pierce, host of the Visual Lounge, where we talk about using images and videos in the workplace. Today, we're going to be talking about why your business, your small business, your big business, your business, your individual business should be using YouTube and how so maybe some ideas on how to get going or growing with that so that you can be successful because we know video has a huge part to play in the things that you do in terms of getting your message out there, helping educate your customers, teaching people about what the value you bring. But we've got a great guest to help us do it today. So we're going to go ahead and jump in right in and introduce you to Rob Wilson. Rob Wilson has been making YouTube videos since 2008 and started taking it seriously in 2012 and went full-time with vidIQ in 2017. He currently manages vidIQ's YouTube channel, which now has 1.5 million subscribers and over 100 million views. The creator-obsessed YouTube education content aims to help creators realize their creative ambitions whilst becoming financially sustainable from it. With that said, please help me welcome Rob Wilson to the Visual Lounge. Hey, Rob. Hey, thank you, Matt. I, I remember you asking me to write that a little um, bio, and I thought, I actually read quite well. I think I might use that elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're so grateful to be able to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen your stuff. I've seen VidIQ's uh, tool. I've used it for a long time. I think it's just, you do such a fantastic job. I'm excited to learn from you. So let's, let's jump in with our first couple questions here. First one is, how did you get started with using video? You've got this kind of journey that I just, I read about, but like, what was the impetus? Were you always a video creator or is that something that you maybe fell into? So if we go back to my origin story, um, I was originally interested in writing and this was back in the late 90s. So I am dating myself a little bit here, but I wanted to get into video game journalism, uh, which Felt underrepresented at the time, but as subsequently it's become mainstream like uh, uh, video games in general, which is awesome. And I went to university with the idea of becoming a writer. Um, the problem was getting noticed at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about early pre-internet times where uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, what you knew, it's who you know. And uh, I didn't have awesome contacts within the uh, writing industry. And, you know, probably if I'm being honest, I didn't reach out. I didn't really make that leap. Then I got into my like own routine and career. I kind of moved away from writing, but I still had that creative itch that I wanted to try and scratch and, you know, satisfy. And YouTube was coming along at that time. And for somebody who'd been creatively 
I guess, stifled. You know, I hadn't found that audience uh, because there was not that many avenues to it. YouTube just kind of opened up that opportunity for anybody to be creative to reach a potential audience of probably then hundreds of billions, hundreds of millions, but now billions of people for free. If you had access to a phone that could record uh, video footage and the internet. And that's where I started to find my creative passion. I didn't think that it would lead to a full-time career. It was just an opportunity I thought at the time to share my creativity, my passion for a subject and have more than one or two people read it because that's, well, watch it. That's what, that's the situation I was in with writing. You know, I didn't feel as if anybody was reading my work and I never got any feedback, but YouTube was completely different. It gave you the analytics. It literally told you how many people were watching for how long, and then you would start to get comments and feedback and it all ballooned from there. You're going from uh, tens of views to hundreds of views to now we expect to get tens of thousands of views per video uh, when we publish them. So that's the, that's a almost YouTube short story of it. I feel that that was more than a minute's long, but that's where I currently find myself. Yeah, that, no, that's awesome. And it's, it's, it is interesting because I talk to a lot of creators and I'm sure you being well-connected in the industry, you do as well. And it's very similar, right? They found like, oh, YouTube is this platform. I can express myself. I can do stuff. And at 2008, 2010, 2012, it was like, I don't know if this is going to be a career. And then it, they kept at it. And then they eventually, they, they landed in a spot where, yeah, they were getting enough traffic, enough opportunities that uh, it, was, it was something that they could do and make that switch to full-time, which is, which is awesome. So, so Rob, our next question though, this is a broad question, so I don't expect us to go super deep on it, but like generally we ask people, how do they define success for something? And for you, I'm curious for, if you're, someone came to, and you're in the elevator, we'll do the 30 second to one minute pitch in the elevator. If someone says, Hey Rob, how do I define success for YouTube? Like, what would you tell somebody? What does success look like on YouTube? So I think there's various levels of success, uh, as you may imagine. If I was to answer that to a person who's just starting out on YouTube, I would say if you're if you still love creating content in six months' time, you know you just can't wait to get in front of a camera, edit your next video, and press publish, even though you've already made fifty videos and haven't got that many views. I would say that's a success from a personal creative point of view, and that's that was my key, like done YouTube for six months. I love doing this. I'm going to keep doing it in my spare time. But then it starts to get a little more serious. Like you reach monetization. Now, all of a sudden you're putting all of this effort into YouTube and your the only reward is some likes and some appreciation and some comments. But once you're monetized and then you start to see ad revenue, which is so easy to turn on, then it starts to get a little more serious. You start oh, thinking, oh, I'm earning a couple of hundred dollars a month now. That might, you know, pay for the um, for the payments on a car or like get some more equipment and reinvest it back into the to, to the channel. And then you start to grow your audience, and they want to invest in you beyond ad revenue. And you start to think of all of these different business opportunities. And then you have the silver play button, and all of a sudden you have this tangible evidence you've reached a hundred thousand people and then millions of views and the re most recent one for us which i think is now brought to the end 
of these subscriber milestones, you know, reaching 1 million subscribers and getting that huge goal play button, which is heavier and bigger than you think. And it's like, wow, we've reached as many people as a small country. And hopefully through some of those subscribers and the views behind those subscribers, which are always far more important, you've made some sort of positive contribution to either their day or their week or their entire life. You've given them something that arms them to go forward and make a difference to the people that they reach and communicate with. So different levels of success. But yeah, I think the, the initial one is if you enjoy YouTube after six months of being on YouTube, then it's a potential lucrative, sustainable future there. Yeah. Well, well, I love that because it's not just about like, oh, we got we got more views, but it's like I love the kind of the end state there that was helping people, making them successful, reaching out, connecting with them. And that's I think that's powerful. So last kind of quick question here. What's your you've been making video for a long time. You probably know a lot. I know uh, we talked before the show started that, you know, you're often doing editing, trying to get faster at that, still getting better at that. But what's one tip you would give our audience about making uh, uh, improved, improving their video or their, their use of video in the work that they're doing? It does depend a little bit on a person's current experience with using video. But if I was to give you a one tip, and it sounds obvious, but it's keep making videos and make more of them. This is an argument of quantity versus quality. And I often argue to begin with, at least, quantity can have its merits because it allows you to learn very, very quickly. If you make one video and try and per try to perfect it without having the knowledge or experience or skill set, you can make what you think is a perfect video, and in reality, it's not that good. But if you can make twenty-five videos or fifty videos, you then have a you know a portfolio, a catalog of content, and I guarantee you you will look back at that first video and think, that was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> but look at where I've come. And then in the next 25 or 50 videos, you'll look back at that video that you just made and think, yeah, that was rubbish as well. So the, the ability to always improve and always have that mindset. Like I never try and make the perfect video every time I'm creating because I would just get stuck in that creative process for weeks and months. And especially with YouTube, where you're never entirely sure how that video is going to perform with your audience, there needs to be that detachment. You've, you've made that video, you're satisfied with it, you're happy with it, move on to the next one, and then think about how you can make incremental improvements. We're always encouraging people to try and improve 1% with every single video that they make. So as an example for me in the last year, I've been really paying attention to audience retention in the first 30 seconds. On an hour channel, it used to be around about 65%. Mm -hmm. And over the last year, I've been determined to think really about the hook and how I can get lots of pattern interrupts and lots of quick edits in those first 30 seconds to keep it action-packed, high-octane, and really engage the viewer. And then after the beginning of a video, it can breathe a little bit. You can slow the pace down. And, you know, now we've got our audience retention up to about 70%. So I, I have some evidence there that I've really worked on something specifically and I've been able to improve it. 
Well, that's that's awesome advice. And it, you know, it fits with the philosophy of this show is at the end of every show, I always tell people to level up a little bit every day, right? It's that one percent philosophy. And I, I I love that because as a video creator, I've been, you know, really creating videos since 2006, 2007. My first videos are garbage. Even now I look at back at last year's videos and I think, oh man, I could have done that so much better because I know more. So I I I think that's a a great approach and I appreciate that 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 philosophy of it. Um, but I also love that you're still working on those things, right? You're looking at a metric, figuring out what the next thing is. How do you do that? How do you do that better? So that's that's fantastic. Well, Rob, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, growing YouTube channels. This is something you talk a lot about on on the video vidIQ channel, something you're known for. But I, I, before we start talking about how to grow, what kind of things you could do there, what would you say, what kind of misconceptions do you think businesses in particular have coming into approaching YouTube? Because it feels like, I see some companies like they're like, yep, we're in on YouTube. I think you guys are a great example of that. We try to be that. But I see some that are like, whoa, I don't know about this YouTube thing. I don't know if I want to be out there. So any misconceptions you're seeing from businesses about trying to get into YouTube or why they're maybe hesitant to do that still? I don't know if this is necessarily a misconception, but the philosophy I had, and this was quite a big discussion point when I first joined vidIQ, was that the audience comes first. And what I mean by that is our objective at vidIQ is to help creators grow and to realize their potential. But on the YouTube channel, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to sell you something and become a customer. So I'm always at the front of my mind before I think, how can the vidIQ tools help a um, creator grow. I'm always thinking first, what is the shared journey we're on and the potential struggles that the creator's on? And it's typically how to get more views, how to get more subscribers, how to monetize the channel, how to grow the channel, how to you know hack the YouTube algorithm, so to speak. So I'm always approaching it from the audience perspective, and I'm always going to prioritize that over trying to sell a particular part of our tool or get them onto an emailing list and all of the things that a business may think is really, really important. Because when I was discussing this with um, the CEO who brought me on board seven years ago now, um, I, I wanted to ensure that I, I maintained kind of a creative control over the channel so that I could put forward the creator's voice mm. as opposed to the, the corporate side or the business side of vidIQ. And I think, I believe fundamentally that attributes the success of the channel in that we represent the creator first and it just happens to be we're under the umbrella of vidIQ. So I think what businesses need to do is that they need to find creators who are deep into the topic and are passionate about it almost beyond their marketing skills because I'm the first to admit that I'm not the best marketer in the world. Sometimes I don't talk about vidIQ enough. I'm just talking about YouTube growth and that's still something that I'm trying to get the balance right with on vidIQ. Like how much do I talk about this title generator that you can download and you can get it for $1 in the first 30 days versus 
hey, you just need to write really good titles and here's a formula that I can give you. Almost, almost giving you the answer without vidIQ's help. And I'm trying to be really conscious of getting the right side of that. And, but it's because I'm passionate about YouTube growth. That, you know, I was a creator first and then a vidIQ employee second. And that's why I have this kind of weird title that I've created called YouTuber in Residence. I am a YouTuber first. I am a representative of vidIQ second. So that's how I kind of sum up this constant, I guess, tension between the business and the audience on YouTube. The audience wants something very different to the, to the business. And that's where you tr- got to try and find that middle ground of somebody who's going to represent that best. And I feel as if I've done a good job, but the numbers seem to suggest that. Uh, and that's what, that makes, that's what makes me want to come to work every day and create because I have that creative freedom to talk about YouTube growth in the way that I think is going to benefit our audience uh, and hopefully raise vidIQ's awareness along the way. Well, I, I, I love that notion because I think, uh, you know, obviously YouTube is a powerful sales tool, right? It, it works. Yep. Many people are successful at doing that, but I, I love the idea that you're, you're really communicating with the audience about what they need, what, what it is that they are trying to do. And along the way, you're introducing them to your tool, right? And so yeah. uh, that, that idea of being helpful first feels really, I, I love that because I, I think that's, a, I think we share a very similar philosophy. We'd rather be helpful. I mean, that's why we do the show, right? It's not about selling Camtasia, Snagit, and our other products. I mean, we'd love it if people go out and check those out and download them, but we're here to have great conversations with people who are knowledgeable because we know people want to make videos. They want to learn how to do, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do to, to help their audience or help their, their, the folks that they're working with. So, and, and can I just go to that? Because yeah. you just mentioned something, I think I'm just starting to learn this uh, now, I think it's about, what does the viewer or the audience want? And you have to really think about their basic emotional desires. Because sometimes, or more often than not, they don't know what they actually need. And let me give you an example of this. Um, we've started to switch our titling structure so that we target browse as opposed to search-based content. So we could make a video that's along the lines of how to write better titles for your YouTube videos. We know creators need that and they're not very good at it or they tend to be not very good at it because they focus on title and a thumbnail towards the back end of their creative process. But how do we communicate that to the audience in a way that's going to make them really excited? So we, we kind of bundle it up in this what the viewer needs package. So a title that reads how to write better titles for YouTube videos transforms into do this or small channels. We're going to target small channels, small channels, do this to double your views in five minutes, because that's what the, the audience of viewer wants. They want their channel to grow. And I would say, don't care how it grows. They, that's what they want. And so how, if you pitch it as to your channel's really going to grow, and then in the hook, you tell them what they need, like you're going to double your views with a little bit of creativity and this title formula. And then you started to introduce what they actually need. And I, I'm just starting to realize that now as we as, we as a channel um, transition from search-based content to browse-based, which you know, 70% of views on YouTube come from browse and suggested. That's really having an interesting impact on, on how we communicate with our audience. 
Well, it seems like a very value driven approach, right? Like you're, here's the value you're going to get. If you want, if you spend five minutes with Rob, you're going to get value and to be able to do this thing. So I, so I, I think that makes sense, right? That people, cause that's what people want. They don't, I want you to, I want to, I want to solve my problem. I don't actually care about writing titles. I, it, but if that's the solution, help me understand that that's the solution. So, so I, I do love that. Um, so, so Rob, as you, as you're out there and you're watching, I, obviously as a creator, I know you're, you're working with a, probably a lot of smaller organizations, individuals, but, um, what ultimately do you think, I guess, for, from, if I'm a, again, kind of a small business and I'm trying to approach this, uh, obviously there's a skill set that I need to have in terms of learning how to make some video, even, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, we can do quantity first and build up our quality as we go. But, um, what ultimately do you think is the impact of having presence on YouTube for organizations versus, you know, choosing to maybe ignore it or just going kind of maybe lightly at it? Uh, is there, is there value for a business to be there? Do you think? I think Mr. Beast probably is, uh, the greatest proponent of YouTube videos and views because you know, if you're watching a Mr. Beast video, you know what you get into. And so the target audience and the demographics are ideal viewers for Mr. Beast content, whereby if you're watching the uh, Super Bowl, which is watched by hundreds of millions of people, the demographics are fragmented and scattered all over the place. Yet an advert on a Super Bowl commercial costs tens of millions of dollars. Whereas Mr. Beast probably gets 100 million plus views per video and his advertising can be a lot more targeted an ideal viewer. And I think that's what businesses on YouTube need to be really conscious of. They need to be really clear of their ideal viewing candidate and then build content around that ideal viewer so that if they watch one video and they're satisfied by it, satisfied by it, the next time they see another one of the channel's thumbnails and titles on browse or suggested, they think, yeah, that's another video that fits my desires and needs. I'm going to click on it and I'm going to watch it. And so having that, I guess, specific niche or target audience, but at the same time, making your content broadly accessible, because that's what we see a lot of um, with niche channels is that they almost get too specific and they give like the specific solution to something very specific that's only going to appeal to a handful of um, viewers. But usually you can, if you, again, pitch the video in the right way, you can make it a lot more accessible to a lot more people. And you still got that core audience who may be interested in um, committing uh, financially to, to the content once they've got engaged with it and subscribed to it and maybe um, you know, executing on some of your calls to action. Yeah, makes sense. And, and I'm just going to say, because, you know, maybe someone doesn't know who Mr. Beast is. Go check out his stuff because it is, I'm, I'm always impressed. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a regular viewer. I know my kids have been uh, there. Yeah. I think he's much more in the, they're much in the more target audience for a while there. Uh, but he is really masterful at what he does. Actually, I just saw something he was doing on Instagram, even where he was giving away, I think five viewers, $10,000. You know, but he knew how to like he just exploded his Instagram account and followers by doing that. And so he's 
he's really good about spending money in interesting ways. It gets lots of results. So it does, it does make a lot of sense. Um, so- and YouTube Discovery Engine is really good at finding the correct audience for a, um, for a channel. Well, it's the other way around. I've got to, got to get this right. <laughs> People think that the YouTube algorithm is against them. And it's not that the YouTube algorithm is against the creator. It's just solely focused on the viewer. So what happens is if viewer A likes this certain type of content, then it will detect other viewers that like similar types of content and then show those other viewers the same video as well. And so you've got to be really, you've got to try and understand that YouTube's not there to promote your video because you put the work in. It's there to find, it's there, it's there to keep the viewer on the platform. And it's only going to do that by finding content that serves what the viewer wants and in a valuable way. Yeah, I, that, that is a gold nugget right there if I've heard it, right? Like understanding that really can help any video creator out there be more successful. So, so Rob, we've talked a little bit about kind of there's this business side. You've, you've obviously provided some, actually some really great information just to, you know, think about your titles, think about your audience, think about what's going to keep, you know, help YouTube uh, want to share your content to your audience. If, if I was a business and I'm, and if I came to you and I said, okay, Rob, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I've got this business. I, I make, I don't know, whatever widget or thing or product or something. And I said, what are your top three like, what are the top three things I need to know as a create now a new creator going into YouTube that will help me be successful? What, what would you tell me? I would first of all say, um, what problems are what are the biggest bottlenecks, uh, obstacles in the way of your target audience? Because ultimately, if you're a business, you're solving their problems. And again, to begin with, I don't think you necessarily want to do the hard sell on your products. You just want to raise awareness of who you are on YouTube and the fact that the majority of content on YouTube is free and people come to YouTube for solutions because they are free. And accepting that Probably a minority proportion of your audience may eventually invest in you financially, but the other majority of your audience are going to, I guess, have goodwill for you. And they're going to spread the word. They're going to help you get your content discovered more. I would also be thinking about addressing the the biggest problems that your business intends to fix. And again, that might not necessarily be through your tools to begin with. You may start to just slowly introduce them as you make more and more videos. The key you need you need to have on YouTube is momentum. And you do that through consistently uploading to a consistent audience with a consistent value and quality of content. And you know, that may take six months. It may take 12 months. It may take 25 videos and you do have to have a certain element of patience. And I think also key to this is research. You need to determine how much of an audience there is on YouTube and what your existing competitors are doing on YouTube because 
The way you get recognized and identified these days is having something unique to offer. Whether you're creating content faster than anyone else with news updates or you're doing bigger uh, solutions, let's say one creator has 10 solutions to a problem, you're going to jump in there with 150 solutions. You're going to have a complete Bible uh, of fixes for the problems that your potential uh, customers have. Or you can just create content that's better than anyone else. Uh, this is why, again, example like Mr. Beast and Mark Rober and these huge YouTubers can go weeks, sometimes months without creating any content because they're impossible to replicate. And so YouTube is going to find it very hard to find alternative content for those viewers. So when they publish again, everybody's going to see that new Mr. Beast or Mark Rober thumbnail and title. So patience, I think you can bundle all of that stuff into patience and really commit to making YouTube and learning about it. Because there are a lot of businesses I see which have these almost like PowerPoint style thumbnails and the, the content delivery is quite dry and it feels a bit corporate. It feels like it's, it usually lives on a website and it doesn't have like that, that humor and that tone and that, you know, that internal motivation that a, someone like myself who's really passionate about YouTube growth, it's like ingrained on them to help the audience, irrespective of whether they're representing vidIQ or anyone else in, in the YouTube growth sector, that those are all key components. And I've kind of waffled onto a few different tangents there, but I think I've addressed the main question. No, I, absolutely. I think those are all really great, great thoughts. You know, I, 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 one I want to just kind of pull out at the end that you said is there's this kind of humanity, like, you know, being, being yeah. real on YouTube feels sometimes difficult for corporations, especially corporations. Yeah. Small little businesses, I think it's a little easier, you know, they less kind of governance rules. But I, I feel like that's a, a key point um, that just, it, it makes sense to me, right? Like you, you've got humans behind this company and these ideas, but I, so I do, I do love those answers. And I think it's, it's really good. I do want to, before we, we get to our speed round here coming up, I do want to just kind of shift you. We've talked a lot about the upfront. Uh, I want to talk about the back end of like, how do you know your videos are being like, what are you looking for in success? Earlier, you mentioned a little bit like, you know, that thir first, I think was like, what is it the five seconds or the 30 seconds of how many people are watching, sticking around? Uh, what, what are the key metrics? If, again, kind of taking this approach, I'm a, if I'm new to YouTube, I'm a, a business looking at this, what metric should I care about? We don't necessarily have to go and explain all the different metrics, but you know, like, is there a top three that you're like, yep, these are the three to worry about especially as you're starting out? So if you are starting out, it's really quite simple. And it's views. Everything leads back to views. So if you are six months into your YouTube journey and you've done 25 videos and you're still getting exactly the same number of views, that would suggest that you're not doing enough uh, to make YouTube start finding new audiences for your content. So I would be expecting incremental increases. And, you know, this can start very slowly. Uh, like a lot of gaming channels find this a, a big struggle. Uh, we uh, do channel audits uh, every week. I think I've done this for about five years now. And a classic case of a creator not really learning is when they do walkthrough gameplay videos and they've been doing it for like five years and they do... Now, 50 parts 
of a gaming walkthrough and every single video gets eight views, seven views, 13 views. And I've been doing this for years at this point. You know, a classic stain. If you, if you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, that ain't happening. Um, <laughs> so if your views are starting to increase, uh, that's a positive sign. If views are not increasing, then you need to start to look at the reasons behind that. And YouTube even explains this briefly in their own analytics. Uh, high click-through rates and watch time will lead to more discovery of your con content. It's difficult to pin numbers onto click-through rates because it varies from topic to topic. For us personally, I'm looking for a click-through rate of about 10% or above in the first hour. And if it is there, then I think the video is going to perform relatively well. If it's not, then yeah, even after the first hour, we're looking at changing the title and the mm. thumbnail. But this is after years of experience and just knowing how our channel performs. But you should be able to set a benchmark for your channel after about six months. Like, you know, on average, after 24 hours or three hours or however you want to benchmark it, our click-through rate is 6%. If it's above that, that's a positive signal. We should do more of that. If it's below that, then we need to rethink how this thumbnail or title looks. And then it's, again with, it's the same with watch time. It can vary because of your video length. So if you're creating very long videos, let's say it's 50 minutes long, then yeah, audience retention is probably going to be lower in general. It might be down at like 20%, 30%. If it's a five-minute video, then it may be up at like 40 or 50%. But again, you should be able to benchmark that after you've got a decent catalog of content. I'm looking at saying for my channel, not for anybody else's, because if you start comparing yourself to other channels, then it's a death spiral of paralysis because you're going to always be asking yourself, why is this channel doing so well when the thumbnails are terrible and I'd make better videos? And you're just basing it off what you can see where you don't know like the backstory of a channel and maybe uh, they really connect with their audience even if the quality of the videos isn't terribly good. You should always be looking at your analytics and how you can benchmark yourself and improve over a long period of time. Yeah, well, I, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think there's something, a nugget that I've taken away that I, I'm going to actually do better at is thinking about this in much more short time. You know, it's easy to think, set it and forget it, look at it in a month and see where it's at. But like, obviously with your channel, you've got lots of, lots of traction. So it makes a big difference when you probably have, you know, over a million subscribers, you're getting all those, that first hour, you're going to get a lot more views than a channel with like a thousand subscribers, but it makes sense to take a much earlier look. So I, so I love that. It's a tricky one to um, properly define because it depends on creator intent, just like viewer intent. Mm. For example, when the viewer first goes to YouTube and they're on a homepage, what's their intent? YouTube's not sure, so it's going to give you lots of options. And if the viewer is looking to be entertained or they want to relax, they may click on something that's, you know, Mr. Beast video, for example. However, if they have a certain intent and they want to learn how to get more views or they want to buy a certain product or, you know, want to, they want a camera comparison, then they'll start to use search. But it's the same from the creator's point of view. If your intent is to rank in search, then the chances are your video might not perform very well for the first 24 hours, weeks, sometimes mm -hmm. months. We've had videos that take off after six months. And you have to be very conscious of that. 
However, if your content is very timely, or if it is more entertainment-based, then you're trying to win that click and get positive signals early on, because that's where YouTube is going to be sharing the content on browse and suggested. And YouTube tends to recycle content a lot more in those areas of YouTube. Whereas for search, then yeah, you can almost set and forget, and then maybe check back in three months. And if it's still not performing, then update the thumbnail and the title. So again, it depends on the channel. But as I said earlier, Matt, like we, we transitioned from this search-based mentality to browse-based, where we really are keen on the performance of a video in the first, I would say first hour, then first 24 hours, because we know those return viewers are coming back to see our thumbnails and titles. And if it's not working with them, then what's the, why should YouTube be sharing out to similar audiences? And there are sometimes videos whereby we're trying to initially appeal to browse and suggested, but in the long term, we may change it to a search-based piece of content because we know it's going to have legs. A very quick example of this, YouTube just did an update to uh, custom thumbnails on YouTube Shorts. And so we did the kind of a big fear of missing out title to begin with, like YouTube have just made this update and it's awesome. But that's not a title that really has search-based long tailness to it. Right. So after the weekend, after we got all of our initial viewers to jump in and take a look at the video, we've now retitled it to how to make a custom thumbnail for YouTube Shorts. And hopefully that's going to sit at the top of the search rankings for months, if not years. Doesn't always happen, but now I've got my fingers. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's, it's like, I think sometimes, you know, and I, I've been in the YouTube space for, for a while and, and I know, you know, I know a little, I don't feel like I, I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as you, but it's interesting because I think there's so much more sophistication to this than a lot of people will, will kind of assume. And they go into it just thinking I can just post something and it's going to work, but there's really a lot to learn. And uh, so I can, I really appreciate everything that you've, you've shared with us, Rob. Uh, it's been, man, it's, we'll have to do this again. Cause I think there's about a million other questions we could talk about. Uh, however, I do want to, because of time, I want to make sure we get on and have a little fun here for those who don't haven't watched the show before. This is our speed run where we're going to ask some quick questions with some quick answers. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right, 12 questions. I'm going to determine those questions by the roll of the die. So let's go over to our, our dice cam. Here we go. First question, number 11. Okay, Rob, so here's, here's your question. Oh, out of the park, easy one. What's one resource you think everyone should know about? Well, I think Camtasia is... No, hang on, hang on. That's the right one, yes. So um, as I say, I do a lot of education around uh, YouTube growth, but... VidIQ is a tool I started to use, which really helped me grow. And then, you know, the rest is history. I started uh, representing VidIQ itself. It will take a lot of the um, hard work out of you, all the stuff you're not familiar with, like, how do I generate an intriguing title? Let's do that. And now with ChatGPT that's come along, Matt, like, whew, this is, that technology is transforming uh, all sorts of tech industries. And we are trying to ride that wave. So we are just now, uh, hopefully this is kind of a bit of an exclusive, but because we're launching it, I think literally as I talk, uh, a new coach AI tool, which is tapped into your YouTube channel. So not only is it going to give you advice based on chat GPT-4, but it's going to be able to scan your channel 
and give you advice with that intimate knowledge. Sorry, that was not a short answer. I do apologize. No, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's super exciting. And yeah, I, I, so I can say, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've used vidIQ for a long time. I've, I've looked at it and, uh, you know, had it give me help. Uh, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. And, uh, it's very cool. I can't, I'll have to, this episode will be out well after probably that is released, but I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, Let's, literally. Let's check it out after you roll a dice. Yeah, let's roll another. Let's ask another question here, though. Okay, that is, you can tell it is a, it's a six because of the, where the line is. So question number six. Okay, a little bit more fun one. If you could be a hero in any story. Now, you're a, you wanted to be a writer, so maybe you got some good stories you can think of. Who would you choose and why? So what hero would you choose, Rob? I'm just going to say off the top of my head, Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption, because it is the best film ever made. I love Morgan Freeman's voice. I would love to have that on all of my content, that ASMR sounding voice that just really brings you into it. Uh, and it's just an incredible story of hope. And uh, yeah, it's a bit, probably a bit of an unusual one, but I was trying to think off the top of my head. Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption. Perfect. Do what you haven't watched it before. Get, live, uh, get busy living or get busy dying. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do, let's do one more question here. That was a great answer. I love Shawshank Redemption. We're going to flip that die right over and we're going to go to question number nine here. So question number nine. Oh, okay. This one should be fun. So Rob, is there a question you wish I would have asked that, I, that we just, I didn't ask you and you're like, man, I was waiting for that question. So I wish you would have asked it. Yeah, because I am, and this is no word of a why, lie, a Camtasia disciple, uh, because I have been using it now for a decade, and it's responsible for like 90% of the views we have on vidIQ. Uh, Matt, the question you might have asked is, uh, how, like, why did you choose Camtasia when you've got so many video editing options? Do you know what's great about this? This is my show, so now I get to ask that question, Rob. Rob, why, I'm curious, really, but why? Why you you got access to probably amazing tools? You make a lot of your videos are wonderful, by the way. They they look good. They 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 got great. Your quality is so good. So, but why Camtasia? So, I was uh, graduating from Windows Movie Maker 3.1 or 2.1, if you can remember that. It was the uh, the Windows Movie Maker editor in XP, which was amazing but incredibly limited. And so I was ready to graduate to the next video editor. I tried alternatives such as Adobe Premiere Pro, but it was a leap too far. And Camtasia was just that middle ground. It was that bridging between a super simple editor and a really complicated editor. But I've never seen any need to go beyond Camtasia. And I'll tell you the one thing that really um, just clicked when I used Camtasia. And I don't know how many people will be familiar with this shortcut. It's a shift A. And what that does is on a clip, it creates an animation. And then you can zoom in, you can pan out. And other editing programs make that incredibly complicated. But that one tool is like, oh, this is brilliant. And then I started to discover all of the other things that Camtasia does. And I've been happy with it ever since. You know, it has one or two little niggles that, you know, I'm going to speak to Matt too, and I'm going to insist that they get added to Camtasia after this book. I see no need to switch at the moment. So that's why. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. And it, it speaks to exactly where we want, we want people to be, right? Like we know, obviously there's things, you know, that people make film with Premiere. Most of us aren't making films. We're not doing that. And, and the animation stuff is, is really great. So thank you for sharing that with us, Rob. That is, 
Uh, glad that you're like it. We'll talk about those things after. See what we can do to get you all uh, squared away and taken care of. But Rob, before we we wrap up the show, uh, two things. First of all, if someone wants to learn more from you, they want to connect with you, where would you suggest they, they look? So when I joined vidIQ, I realized that the hobby part of my life was going to become my full-time job. And so I created a very distinct, uh, I guess, slash down the middle. Like when I'm with vidIQ, I'm on social media and on the internet. But when I finish for the day, I don't want to be on the internet unknown anyway. So to get to reach me, you need to go through vidIQ, at vidIQ on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, or uh, vidIQ on YouTube. Uh, that's where I'm, I am uh, to the world. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I, and I think that's great, right? Like you spend all this time, you don't need to spend more time. <laughs> and let's, let's yeah, I would just burn out if like I was answering and doing social media stuff after work. But then it's not work. It's kind of weird. Like I I feel as if since I joined vidIQ, I haven't worked a day in my life. But at the same time, I do want to keep my life, my life outside of YouTube. Yeah, I I can appreciate that. Well, Rob, the last thing we'll ask from you is we always like to ask people to to wrap up their, kind of summarize what their thoughts are. So Rob, what's your final take? So I think we've kind of gone down this road, at least in my journey, my experience that for businesses, who comes first? And it's the same answer for YouTube, which makes this really important. It's it's the viewer, it's the audience. It's the person who's on the platform looking for something that's going to change the way they feel or they think or they act. And YouTube videos are really powerful at doing that. And I think that should be your first goal as a content creator, you can make a a viewer feel something or enlighten them or inspire them or motivate them without necessarily needing to sell a product at the first point of contact. That can come later and you can certainly incorporate it into your video content. But just as a viewer on YouTube, it has to have intrinsic value. And I think all businesses should start there. And that's what vidIQ enables me to do every day. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you once again for being on the Visual Lounge. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, everybody, go check out vidIQ stuff. If you're learning about YouTube, you want to learn how to grow your channel, you want to learn all this great stuff. Look, it's not just if you're a, a creator making your like solo stuff. It is good for that too. But if you're a business, you want to do that, go check out vidIQ, what Rob's doing, what he's teaching. It's really fantastic stuff. I learned from them. I'll also say that, you know, look, you can go see an example of what you can use Camtasia for to help grow your business. And, you know, we've heard a lot of great stuff. Rob mentioned growing, you know, like getting better 1%. We we love that philosophy. It's so important here. As part of the Visual Lounge, what we want, we want you to take whatever you're learning and apply it. Try it. Just get a little bit better every single day. And we'll t- hope you take some time to level up. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.